The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit kuci.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about privacy in the age of big data, and that happens to be the name of this whole book that I have been reading called Privacy in the Age of Big Data, and the subtitle is Recognizing Threats, Defending Your Rights, and Protecting Your Family, and it's by Teresa M. Patton and also Theodore Claypool, and we've had Theodore, Ted has been on our show, and he's actually become a friend of mine, so I'm just so thrilled that we have Teresa on with us. Let me tell you a little bit about about her. She is amazing. First of all, Teresa Patton. It's Peyton. Peyton, okay. okay. Peyton, okay, it's fixed. Um, she is CEO and Chief Advisor of Fortalice, and that you can find their website at FortaliceSolutions.com, and you spell that F O R T A L I C E. She is one of the most respected authorities on internet security, net crime, fraud mitigation, and technology implementation. And she was White House Information Officer. She was a CIO in the Office of Administration at the Executive Office of the President from 2006 to 2008. She was the very first woman to ever hold that position. She administered the Information Technology Enterprise for the president and 3,000 staff members. Prior to her time at the White House, Teresa was a senior technology executive in banking. She spent 16 years providing banking solutions using emerging technologies and assisting those banks with being the first to market um, or quick follower of improving revenue and at the same time fighting back against those fraudsters. Teresa founded Fortalice in 2008 as a security risk and fraud counseling company, and she has uh, lends her expertise to government and private sector organizations, and she helps them improve their information technology systems. In 2010, she was named by Security Magazine 
as one of the top 25 most influential people in security. So we are just so thrilled to have you join us all the way from North Carolina, Teresa. You're wonderful, and I really am enjoying your book. Oh, well, thank you. And thanks for having me on the show today. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Yes. So, you know, I have so many books on privacy, and I've read so many, and I really love this because I think one of the great things about it is it's easy to understand for consumers who have to deal with privacy issues, and they just don't have the technology, the security people, the IT people, especially when they're, you know, either at home or they're working from their home or in a small business. So how is it that you and Ted decided to write this book? Well, we we had so much fun writing our first book together, Protecting Your Internet Identity, Are You Naked Online? And we were looking at the emergence of big data and the Internet of Things, and both of us realized there were huge privacy implications to the data that was being collected, even though we know those technologies, there's no going back. We need those technologies. They do amazing things for us. You know, big data is helping us find uh, personalized cures for cancer. Big data helps us look for weather anomalies so that people can be warned faster to get out of harm's way. Big data has really changed the way uh, we work and live. And the same thing with the Internet of Things. But at the same time, we look at that newer technology and realize that is a treasure trove of information that all cyber criminals are going to want to attack. So we felt like we really had to get a book out on privacy in the age of big data and really helping people understand what their rights were, how to grab back their privacy, and where in some cases there are no remedies, not technically, technically or even legally uh, around some of these privacy issues because we're running into problems and they're outpacing both laws as well as companies and governments understanding on the technology and the downstream impacts. Everything is so changing is changing so quickly. And I know we've talked on this show many, many times about building privacy into the architecture of new technology and new services. And that just hasn't caught on enough yet because there aren't any laws really requiring it, are there? No, and this is where we really felt like if if consumers and businesses, and we also wrote the book with with executives in mind who were undertaking big data projects and wondering, well, what are the implications? Everybody touts the power of big data to help a company run more effectively or know your customers better, but they really on the product side don't talk about the, I I call it the just because you can collect it doesn't (laughs) mean you should collect it. And you know, sort of the downstream impact of that, we're, we're seeing, for example, just in the headlines recently, they talked about how companies, because of the rising cost of healthcare insurance, are going to third-party marketing firms and asking them for risk profiles. And even though it may not name it by the exact employee name, they're asking them to give them the demographics of their employees and give them a risk profile so that they can understand the health insurance costs. Mm. Then you start to get into uh, looking at whether or not in the background checks for employees or an ongoing process, uh, if they're going to third-party marketing firms to understand the risks associated with 
a person based on spending habits, based on who uh, they connect with on social media, and you know, based on other activities online. We really have to step back a moment and look at the privacy implications and say, okay, I understand there's probably good purposes for collecting this data, but the moment you're able to correlate this information, even if you think it's anonymized across other databases, it becomes very interesting and quickly very scary how you can pinpoint a person based on correlating data across multiple supposedly anonymized databases. And you know what really scares me, Teresa? A lot of times those databases have bad information. Um, I deal with people with identity theft problems, which there are profiles on them that have that really are not them. And so that's one issue. Or sometimes the databases are really uh, incorrect in that maybe somebody's sitting at my computer and they're looking up something that isn't me, you know, isn't something that I would look up. So that we have things that are in there that our, our profiles are not necessarily correct. And the scary thing is that, that I think is most up- upsetting is that there's no transparency. So Big companies can get all this data, but then we can't access that same information. You know, if you look at the credit reporting agencies, there we do have an opportunity to access the data. We can look at the credit reports and see if there's errors, right? But we can't do that on all these other databases and see. Yeah, we can look up the Medical Information Bureau, and we can look up check systems, but, you know, it's really amazing how the ordinary consumer has no idea what these big companies are seeing that may not even be them, right? You're exactly right, and I love how you brought up the credit reporting example. You know, people were getting uh, turned down for credit or getting assigned these really um, high interest rates, and they had no idea why, and it was this big secret behind the, the curtain credit scores when they first came out. And now you can ask for a free credit report from all the bureaus, and you have a right to see the detailed data. You get to contest the data uh, and say, this isn't me, or this is old, or this isn't accurate, and you get to fix it. And I believe that the EU's ruling with Google, and I believe it will continue to go, with the European right to be forgotten, Mm -hmm. is going to open the door where you and I and everyone listening to your radio show are going to eventually get that opportunity, Uh, whether it's through legislation or whether companies decide, hey, it's good business sense for our data to be as accurate as possible. So feel free to look at the record we have about you in our third-party marketing database and scrub it because it's about you and it's to give you better offers. It's to, if you are really healthy, to give you less expensive health care or you're not a risky driver to, to give you that. So it'll be interesting to see how the impact of the consumers asking for this access And with the right to be forgotten coming out of the EU and getting a chance to mature, I believe in the next two years, you and I will have an opportunity to look at third-party data, and it may be one-off, but we we will have an opportunity to correct what we see in profiles. And I do believe we will have an opportunity to say, I don't want to be included, or you have to pay to have my data included. And that may take a little longer to get there, but I I do think you'll see this evolve over the next couple of years. And wouldn't it be great for you and I to be paid 
to be marketed to. Oh, gosh, that would be something. You know, about seven years ago, I testified in Congress for Senator Bill Nelson, who tried to put together a similar uh, scheme like the credit bureaus for background checks. And um, it, you know, it didn't pass. We couldn't get enough people to support it. But I'll tell you something. I have had so many people who have had background checks that were had stuff in it that was nothing to do with them. It was either somebody trying to take their identity or it was like Bill Jones how many Bill Jones there are, you know, and and maybe they even have a similar birthday. So you're right. It's so important. I think if we could get that in the near future, then people could, like you said, you know, have an opportunity to review it and scrub out the stuff that's not correct. But it's it's not even easy to correct your credit reports. I mean, I have literally been helped victims and myself to um to try and clean up credit reports when when someone has stolen your identity. So that is a, a huge issue and the more that people can do that and even health records. I had I had um a health record that was all mixed up between me and somebody else. And um, that was pretty bad because I don't want to have my health record look like I have this disease that this other person that somehow that got mixed up into my file. So it's um, oh my goodness yeah it's it's a ch- and you can imagine if if the blood type is different and then I am in a coma and I need blood and somebody pulls up this electronic record and gives me the wrong blood <laughs> so I mean there are huge issues with the privacy but I want to go over some of the things in your book because I think they're really fabulous um, one of the things you talk about is your computer is watching you you want to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And there's lots of different ways this happens. And it can be as simple as the web browser that you use and each different website that you go to uh, actually has third-party trackers on it. Now, there's some different things you can do um, to throw them off and then decide when you do want them to track you. Because I'll admit, if you turn everything off, including the cookies and the trackers, there are some websites that don't look pretty anymore once you turn all those <laughs> off or it won't even load. Uh, so, for example, a tool I really like because it's super easy to use is Ghostery. Uh, I have that in all my browsers. I also have Privacy Badger, which is put out by the EFF Foundation. And then I also use another tool. Both of those are free. I also use another tool called Disconnect, which gives me both a um, the blocking, but it gives me a VPN and a proxy server. Now, what does that mean in layman's terms? Well, the people that are technical that are listening right now, you can kind of take a break from listening, but for the people <laughs> who don't kind of work in that space all the time, what that basically means is I get to, it, it's not 100% foolproof because no technology is, but the VPN allows me to create a secure encrypted transmission where I get to cloak my connection to the internet from Snoops. The proxy server allows me to actually route my traffic in from somewhere else. So for example, I may route my traffic from Europe going to the internet. And, with, mm. and how I know that's working is, is if, if I look at Google Flights, it'll actually present me uh, flights not in uh, U.S. dollars. <laughs> it'll present it in the currency of the country right. I'm coming from, which is how I know it's working. Right. So if you use a combination of those things, that, that can actually help uh, 
take the snooping down quite a bit, and you don't have to be a geek to use them. And Ghostery and Privacy Badger are free. Disconnect costs about $10 a month. The next thing to be thinking about is, how are you connected to the Internet? Because that can also allow people to spy on you as well. If you're on your home uh, broadband, that's a little harder to spy on. If you're on your home Wi-Fi network and you broadcast that in the open, even if you have it locked with a password, people can see it in that little pop-up list of here's the networks you can connect to. You can actually hide that network. And that way you can make sure somebody can't mask or mimic your network and make you think you're, you're tied to your home network when you're actually tied to their network. Um, the next thing to ask yourself is, am I on free Wi-Fi at the coffee shop or the hospital or the library? Or the hotel. I don't like using free Wi-Fi because, yeah, or the hotel. Um, I don't like free Wi-Fi because you have no way to really validate that the person running it understands your right to privacy and security, and they don't know, for example, if somebody has set up a a fairly inexpensive tool, for example, is the pineapple, and for less than $99 on Amazon, you can buy a tool that mimics the Wi-Fi hotspot, and it ends up putting out a stronger signal, meaning the devices in the vicinity go from what you think might be your local coffee shop.com and it, uh, or your local coffee shop Wi-Fi hotspot, and it'll route it to that same local coffee shop name or hotel name, and instead you've got a bad guy snooping on you. So those are some really easy tips that you can use to grab a little bit of your privacy back and make sure your computer's not spying on you. Teresa, so I'm safe when I use my own hotspot from my own smartphone? Am I, am I safe? That is safer. Okay, that's, yeah, that's you, what I that do. Yeah, that is safer, but I know a lot of people, that makes for an expensive data plan, and the people are always looking for ways to, right. to manage their cell phone bill every month. Exactly, exactly, and that's that's true. You know, I have to ask you, there aren't, there haven't been that many really techie security people, uh, women, and I just am just in awe, Teresa. I think it's wonderful. I mean, I know Rebecca Harold for years. She's another one. But, I mean, you are really up there. How is it that you got to be so techy? Well, and I know Rebecca as well, and I just adore her. She is she's really amazing, and I love using her as a sounding board. I just love her energy and her perspective. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, it's interesting – I often say I feel like I'm exactly where I'm a faith-based person. I feel like I'm exactly where um, God's path was for me because it wasn't the path that had originally mapped out for myself. And right. I'm so glad I'm here because I'm passionate about what I do. And I, I know that I, I, I do truly feel called to uh, fight bad guys from behind a keyboard. And I do feel like that's my calling. I'm exactly where I need to be to defend people, defend companies, defend uh, the, the government from bad guys. And I had a great opportunity while I was in college to um, get a certificate in computers. I was actually a double major. I had an economics major, and then I had a full major in business administration. And then I decided, hey, while I'm at it, I should get a certification in computers. And that really opened up a lot of doors for me, and I had the opportunity to do computer programming in high school. And uh, just always really love kind of the analytical problem solving and asking, well, just because the books say to code it this way or to flowchart it this way, why do I have to do it that way? And, and trying to sort of make up my own way 
uh, to get to the answer. And then I had a fabulous opportunity to have a teaching assistantship and an RA assistantship over at the University of Virginia to get my Master of Science in Management Information Systems. And that opened up so many doors for me. And uh, my husband was in the Navy at the time. After I graduated from my master's degree, we were stationed in Jacksonville, Florida, and Barnett Bank, which is now part of Bank of America, uh, took a chance on me, this um, just eager person right out of, of grad school wanting to change mm. the world, and uh, <laughs> my opportunities just kind of flowed from there. So um, I, I think the key, if I, if I could recommend to anybody listening, if they're thinking about a career change or they have young people in their lives, um, especially young women, but we, candidly, we need everyone to become more technical, and I yes. think you everyone in the fight against the bad guys. So um, women, men, uh, everyone, we could use you, and there's not going to be any shortage of work to do in defeating um, the bad guys from what they're trying to do. But uh, especially if you have young women in their lives, here's the one thing. The Girl Scouts did a study, and they realized that young women tend to pick out careers where they feel like they are helping somebody and making a difference. And if we can do a better job showing young women the difference that you make and that this is not just a bunch of nerds sitting around playing with gears and computers, you really truly are impacting the lives of so many people by picking what I think is a very noble profession to be in cybersecurity. I think we've convinced more young women to go this path. I think it's terrific. I, I am so thrilled to get to know you. I don't know if you know Patty Titus, but she's another one who is like a security guru. And she, when she was young, her dad was really like a scientist and engineer. So she had that in her upbringing. So it's, um, it's just, I think it's wonderful. I am so excited about women getting into technology and security and, and doing the good work that you're doing. And um, we, we need more women. So women students, listen to this. And you've got this wonderful role model in Teresa Payton, that's for sure. Let's, let's switch gears a little bit, Teresa. What are your thoughts on the recent Apple and FBI developments? You know, first of all, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm a little sad and disappointed that we're at this impasse. And um, I, I'm going to both stick up for Apple and get annoyed with Apple at the same time in this interview. Um, so let, let me kind of give Apple credit where credit's due. They really are thinking about our privacy and security in the evolution of their encryption software. Yes. And even the FBI would admit backdoors that were used in the 80s and 90s on technology in the early 2000s, they never worked. And they were always a bad idea. And weakening encryption in the name of um, helping out law enforcement, I think we can all agree, is, is a bad proposition because when you weaken it for the good guys, there's no bouncer at the door saying, are you good or are you bad? Do I right. want you in or do I not? Right. And so I think we can all agree that is an old school design, it's an old model, and it needed to go away about three years ago. Okay, fast forward to today and where I want to give Apple and most of Silicon Valley a hard time. Um, you can protect my privacy and security, and you can answer under court order the call to either prevent an issue or to help with an investigation. Right. And every other industry other than you has been held accountable for decades. So wiretapping uh, someone's personal phone, their landline for those people who still have them, 
uh, under court order and following a process that was allowed. Right. The yeah. banking industry that I come from, I can't tell you how many regulations tell us we have to cooperate under court order or under regulatory pressure to provide information for investigation. And the banking industry has figured out how to protect the privacy and the security of their customers while creating a design that could answer law enforcement. So that's word to Apple and Silicon Valley. We all agree, backdoors and weaker encryption, they're wrong and we shouldn't do it. In the long term, we have cr got to create a new design. You are the people that are bringing us driverless cars and delivery drones. I know that if we get the best and brightest minds from law enforcement and Apple and Silicon Valley in the room, we can create something that on a court order, case-by-case -case basis, right. you can create expiring credentials, expiring access, tokenization of data, and I know we can get an answer for court orders. Now let's go to the Apple and iPhone. That, that, I want to go so, back and just state that again for when we're talking about a court order for those people who aren't in the legal profession, you should know that that means a warrant, that you have to show probable cause for, and you know, that you have a good reason, a reasonable reason to get it, not just because maybe you're, um, you know, you're, you think your wife is having an affair or something. This has to be something that for <laughs> law enforcement, because, you know, I mean, people worry about that kind of thing. Okay. Right, and, and we don't want an open door where our data just flows into somebody sitting at a computer analyzing us all day long. Right, and, right. and candidly, they're, they're not staffed to do that anyway. As it relates to this one particular case, and I'm going to defend Apple here for a minute, there are countries around the world that do not respect their citizens' individual right to privacy and right. other rights, um, and Apple is under pressure all of the time from these countries right. to break encryption, not in cases like this, but other cases where it's government against you know, right. citizens speaking out against the government. So Apple does have to look at the bigger picture here. However, again, I think best and brightest minds, my advice would be a lot of people don't realize every phone, whether it's Apple or not, every laptop, whether it's Apple or not, and every tablet has a unique device ID. It's almost like a social security number. No other device has it. I believe that there is a way to find a design specifically targeted at this device ID with an expiring set of credentials where they could lift that 10 password reset that if you hit that 10th time, it will wipe all the data, meaning all the evidence, off of this phone. Right. And the terrorists turned off their backup to the cloud six weeks before the terrorist attack in California. So there are no other records for those six weeks leading up, including that day with the terrorist attack. So this is the only place that data is going to be. The FBI is just asking for that 10-try limit to be lifted so they can do their work. And I believe you could create something written specifically only for this device ID with expiring credentials, digitally shred the code that was created, and create a one-and-done for this particular case. I hope we can get all these great minds who both sides of the argument mean really well and they really are thinking about the bigger picture, and I hope we can reach resolution on that soon. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Well, we only have about a minute and a half. I just want to ask you, um, well, why don't we do this? Let's just tell us real quickly 
what your company does and give your website. <laughs> we just have that much time to, to get that. Absolutely. And I would encourage anyone today listening that's thinking about a career change or um, is in school and is thinking about cybersecurity, reach out to me on LinkedIn and just let me know that you listen to Mari and I talk on the show and um, stay in touch and let me know how I can be of service. Um, FortalistSolutions.com, our company works with individuals, so we have an elite protection service. If you've been the victim of some uh, type of uh, reputation issues, uh, we have revenge porn victims, uh, we have people who have been maligned online, we help you get your life back. We also help with digital surveillance for people who are in the public eye. Uh, we work with companies, so we help companies uh, anywhere from doing a strategic assessment all the way through. I've got a team of red ninjas who will, on your behalf and with your permission, look at your company like the adversary would and tell you what the problems are technically. And then we also work with uh, government agencies, both uh, state, municipal, and federal, uh, to help them uh, bolster their defenses and think differently about their security policy. Perfect. So that's FortalySolutions.com. If you go to our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, we link right to her website. Teresa, thank you so much. It's The time just flew. You are wonderful. And we will have you back again, okay? Absolutely. I'd love to come back. And thank you. You're um, awesome and just somebody to admire as well. Okay. Take care. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.